Hi, everybody, and thank you for listening to the Study Apply Thrive podcast. I am Vita Cash. I'm the director of women's ministry, the co-pastor, and the first lady at Flow Church. I'm so glad that I get to spend this time with you. This podcast is called Study Apply Thrive because the Bible lets us know that when we study and apply the word of God, that we are then empowered to thrive in every area of your life. So just commit to yourself, invest in yourself to give yourself this 30 or 40 minutes to just immerse yourself in the word. I promise you, you'll be blessed. I promise you'll have a good time. I'm a little, uh, have a couple jokes for you. At least I'll try. They might be corny, but just laugh anyway, because laughter is like medicine. So get your journal, get your pen, get your tea. If you're driving, just give it your attention and let's dive into the word of God. Hello, ladies. I hope you are having an absolutely wonderful day or a wonderful evening or a wonderful afternoon a wonderful midday, a wonderful weekend, or whenever you are listening to this. We're going to have some fun getting into the Word of God today, and I'm happy to share this time with you. About three or four weeks ago, I did a podcast, and it was titled, Being the Real You Takes a Lot of Effort, and got a lot of positive feedback from that. So thank you guys for taking time to send emails or to respond on social media. It's always good to get good feedback because we want to know what we're doing is blessing you. But we're doing it not so much to get feedback, but to just be obedient to God because being the real me takes effort. I'm called to minister the word of God amongst other things. And so you have to put effort into what has God has called you to do. And I encouraged you during that last podcast to make a list of things that were the real you. And it wasn't just about your purpose or your calling. There's a lot of times we want to go right there. What's my purpose? What's my calling? What am I designed to do? What did God create me to do? And that honestly is a true journey of discovery. It's not always an aha moment. It's a tested aha moment that you think you know what it is. And then you realize, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. Because (laughs) I'm called to teach. I'm an educator at heart. I've taught in the public school setting. I've taught in the private school setting. I've taught at the college level, elementary, special needs, speech therapy. My favorite platform for teaching is the platform of a pulpit or any kind of floor that allows me to teach the word of God. But that wasn't my first thing. Um, There was a time I wanted to be a chef. There was a time I wanted to be an FBI agent. Still kind of holding on to that one because I think I would be a really good super sleuth spy. That's a whole nother conversation for another time. Um, There was a time I wanted to be a dancer. Then I realized I really didn't have as much rhythm as I thought I did. I discovered that when line dancing became similar, I mean, became popular because everybody else was facing north and I was facing east. That's okay. Obviously, I'm not as good of a dancer as I thought I was. There have been times that um, I've wanted to own a restaurant and still haven't let go of that one because I do like to cook and I'm good at it. But those are hobbies. They're not necessarily the core of who I'm called to be. And I'm pointing that out because becoming the real you, you're much more than your purpose. And I know that you read books and heard things about being a purpose-driven woman, but I want you to be a spirit-led woman, that you're not just driven by your purpose, but you're willing to turn however Holy Spirit leads you to turn and do whatever Holy Spirit leads you to do. And so being the real you doesn't just include your purpose. It doesn't just include your calling, but it includes your grooming. Do you look good every day? Like what does the real you really look like? Is it a messy bun every day or is it sometimes a neat bun? 
Um, how is your house organized? What's the real you as far as your house is concerned? What is the real you as far as how you relate with the people that you love and your coworkers and your associates? What's the real you as far as how you drive? Does the real you arrive on time or does the real you arrive late? And I believe the real you arrives on time. And so becoming the real you takes effort. It takes purposeful effort. And I challenged you to just make a list, take out your journal, and make a list of who you believe the real you is. Did I say that right? Is that proper English? Y'all, y'all got what I was trying to say though. Who, who are you for real? Can I say it like that? Okay. Who are you for real? And then putting in the purposeful effort to become that woman. And there's one thing that I want to talk about specifically that I hope is on your list. But if it wasn't on your list, I want you to add it to your list. And of all the things on your list, I believe this is the one that is the absolute most important. And I want you to put in your list that the real you begins and ends with being a woman who believes the word of God, that you just flat out believe the word of God, that there is nothing and no one who can convince you that the word of God isn't true, that the word of God isn't real, that the word of God isn't timely, and that it isn't relevant, that the word of God doesn't have power, that you are so sold out and convinced that the word of God is real. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, of course I believe that because if that's what, if I didn't, I wouldn't be listening to this podcast. Well, there are a lot of believers who believe one part of the word. They believe that Jesus is Lord. They believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, that he lived on earth for 33 and a half years, that he went to the cross for your sins and mine, that he hung on the cross and that he went to the grave and that in the grave was really a tomb and that he got up with all victory in his hand. And then he ascended on the right hand of the father, which now gives us access, direct access to the father, that we don't have to go through someone else to be able to talk to the father and that we're able to go to heaven. Now, All believers believe that. That's what makes you a believer. But for too many believers, the belief stops there. And when the Bible says that by the stripes of Jesus, we're healed, we don't believe that. Or when the Bible says that he'll um, open up the windows of heaven and pour you all the blessing that you won't have room enough to receive, we don't believe that. Or the Bible says that um, he will cause a husband and wife to dwell together in harmony. Some of us don't believe that or that he will make our enemies to be at peace with us or that he'll make our enemies our footstool or that wherever the the sole of our foot should tread, that God will give us that land, that we're peculiar, that we're a holy nation, that we're above only and not beneath, that we're the lender and not the borrower. For some reason, those promises are a little bit harder to believe or the promise that says that God cares even about your anxiety. And so don't be anxious for anything. And that the cure for anxiety is to talk to God about something and to allow him to talk back to you. Or that it says, and Proverbs that we have a promise of sweet sleep. I mean, those are just everyday principles and everyday promises that are in the word of God that many of us don't believe. And sometimes we don't believe them because we didn't know that they existed. We, we didn't know that the Bible says that he would give us witty ideas and witty inventions that will cause us to be prosperous, that God wants you to be prosperous. And now before we go any further, prosperity is a spectrum. It's a scale. It's not a number. And what prosperity is for one person is different for another. And really the level of prosperity that you need depends on your assignment in life. 
Um, if your assignment is to be an excellent mother and to be able to provide for your family and you're called to be a homemaker and to take care of the home and to not work outside of the home, the level of prosperity you need to take care of your household is very different from a woman who's called to run a Fortune 500 company. Now, the, the woman with the Fortune 500 company is not better or that's not a better calling. It's just a different calling. And so God's going to equip her differently than he is the woman who's called to um, minister to her family. But don't get it twisted. Just because you're called to minister to your family, that is not cold word for being broke because you want to minister to them and be able to take them on a cruise or whatever vacation you like a couple times a year to be able to replenish furniture whenever you want to be able to call in a cleaning service to help you because your house is magnificent and you want it to be spotless to be able to feed them the best types of food. So being a homemaker does not equate to being broke and barely getting by. It depends on the call of God on your life. And so you need to know that the Bible says those things so that you could have unshakable, unmovable, just incorruptible belief in the word of God. And I want to challenge you on that tonight and just ask you, do you believe the word and how much of it do you believe? Now, I'm not challenging you to memorize the whole Bible. I'm, I'm really not challenging you to do that. <laughs> but I am challenging you to whatever word you already know, to believe what you already know and to live your life based on what you believe and for you to make a decision that whatever I know about the word, I'm going to believe it. I'm not going to debate it. I'm not going to go talk about it over tea with my girlfriends. You can talk about the word in the sense that it's good, but not, hey, do you believe this? Do you think God is still talking to us now in this way? Do you Everything that God says has a place and a purpose in every time frame. Now, society changes. And so the word is applicable for this society that we live in. And it was also applicable for societies of the past, but it's still applicable. Now, open your word to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. <clears throat> and I want you to say to yourself, if you are around other people, I am a believer. I believe the word. If you are by yourself, I want you to shout it. I am a believer. I believe the word. Please don't do that if you're in your cubicle. <laughs> Please don't do that if you're at the NBA listening to this with earbuds in. Please don't scare the people around you. <laughs> Let's lead them to Christ in a different way. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. And doctrine is the way that you define your faith for reproof. That's like having it be a filter for correction. That's correcting your behavior and mind for instruction. That's giving us instruction before we begin a task in righteousness that the man or woman of God might be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so the word of God is designed to perfect you and designed to perfect me so that we can accomplish all the good works that God has charged to his hand, to our hands. But look at the first word in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all scripture is given. I said, look at the first word, but we looked at the first four words. All scripture is given. So not some, not most, all scripture. So now here is your litmus test. And if you took uh, chemistry, you know what a litmus test is. If you didn't take chemistry, you don't know what a litmus test is. It's a good time to bond with a friend, call someone and ask them or get on Google and what is a litmus test? Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God? Because the it's important that you believe the scriptures because there are so many promises and God has extended so many facets, facets of his covenant with us that if we don't believe them, we're not in a position to receive them. So when God says that he will protect you against your enemy, you need to believe that. When God says that he will cause um, he'll raise up a standard when the enemy is trying to protect you. You need to believe that when God says what he has put together, let no man put asunder. When it looks like your marriage is about to crumble, you need to be able to stand firm on the word that God said that he would protect your marriage. That he would protect your children. When you train up a child in the way they should go, that when they get old, they will not depart from the training that you gave them and the training that you demonstrated or modeled before them. Well, I'm going to teach that another time. Time. It's not just about what you told them. It's about what you showed them. And when you show your children how to live for God, when they get older, they won't depart from it. You have a Bible principle about that. But if you don't know the scripture, if you don't believe it, or you're kind of you know, flip-flopping back and forth. I believe it this time, but I don't believe it that time. You have to shore up your faith and make a decision that I am a woman who believes the word of God. Now, let's look at some scripture just to back this up because, you know, she's another preacher. She's telling me to believe the word. That's, you know, her her purpose and her calling. So it's convenient for her to say that. But I'm telling you, not from a woman who is a minister, not from a woman who is a director of women's ministry, not from a woman who's married to a pastor or a woman who's a first lady, but a woman who has, who personally has a testimony with the word of God, that when the enemy has shown up in my life, the times that I worried and just didn't say anything, the enemy had an opportunity to get more ground into my life. But the, the times that I stood firm on the word of God and spoke back to the situation and declared what the Lord has said and read scriptures and reminded myself of what God had promised me, those were the times that the enemy had to flee. And so me worrying and just thinking about something never fixed anything, but me remembering the word and what God has said, it would fix everything. And so you have to be a woman who's willing to simply flat out believe the word of God. Now look at Matthew chapter eight. And many of the scriptures we're going to read tonight will be familiar to you. But if you are a person who journals and if you're a person who just has a running list of scriptures that you want to have handy, you want to keep every scripture we read tonight in that place that you can go to, because these are going to be things that are going to anchor your faith the way you need to anchor it so that you could be a woman who believes the word of God. There's so much richness and so much promise in what God has for you is more than going to heaven. It's more than, you know, being able <laughs> oh, y'all know I'm silly. Your faith is more powerful than you being able to get a good parking space at the mall. <laughs> you know, I'm God, give me a good parking space up close. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I got a good parking space. God is so much more than that. He can do more than bring the prices down to Target. He could do more than get you a good parking space. He could do more than let your stylist start your hair on time. You know, there are some things that God wants to do in your life that goes beyond those. And praise God for those small victories. I've had those days where I didn't feel like walking. Or it was too cold and I wanted to park up in the front. And I thank God for them. 
those times. But what I thank God for more is when I can sleep well at night, even though things around me are not quite the way they should be. I can lay my head on the pillow at night and have sweet sleep because I know that God never sleeps and never slumbers. So since he's going to be up all night, there's no reason for me to stay up with him. He has it covered. He was able to create the whole world in seven days without my um, suggestions and without me being a co-pilot. So surely he can stay up and work things out on my behalf so that I can sleep. He is very capable of taking care of me while I sleep. But before I knew that scripture and just uh, decided to believe it and not just read it, because I've known that scripture since I was a little girl but to accept it as truth for my life and no longer lay up at night thinking about how I'm going to accomplish this and how is that going to happen and what's going to happen there. God, you don't sleep for slumber, so I'm going to sleep and I'm going to go and I'm going to have sweet sleep. Those are the types of promises that you want to be able to stand on. It's so much more than being able to get, you know, I wish they opened another line in the grocery store. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I got another line open. Well, yeah, we thank God for that. But what about the increase you need on your paycheck? What about the financial blessing you need? So that you can leave a job that you can't stand, <laughs> that you can get a, another opportunity or God can raise up a door for you to start your own company or just to have a residual income coming in. That's the kind of lifestyle you want to live that no matter what God puts in your heart, you believe the word enough that he will provide the resources that go along with that dream, to go along with that vision, to go along with everything he's telling you to do. That's where you want to be. That's the kind of faith you want to have. So by now, you should be in Matthew chapter 8. Praise the Lord. So Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to start at chapter um, and verse 5. And I'm going to just talk you through this. I'm not going to read it ver um, verbatim, but it's Matthew chapter 8. We're starting at verse 5, and we're going to go through... Um, we'll go through... Verse 12. Yeah, we'll, we'll go through verse 12. So there is a centurion soldier and he has a servant who is ill. And in verse 7, and Jesus said unto him, I will come in him. So he, the servant in verse 6 says to Jesus, I have a servant. Will you come? Um, no, I have a servant and my, my servant is sick. And Jesus says, I will come and heal him. And the centurion soldier, verse 8 um, said unto the Lord, I am not worthy that thou shalt come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. And then he goes on to explain that he is a man of authority because he says to one soldier go and the soldier goes and he says to another soldier come and the soldier comes and that makes him a man of authority but it also makes him a man under authority. This is a person who understands authority. And so he says to Jesus, my servant is sick. You don't have to come to my house for him to be healed. All I need for you to do, Lord, is just simply speak the word. He understood the authority of the words that were coming out of Jesus's mouth because he was a man who operated in authority. And so what I want you to write on your paper is, are you a person who submitted to authority? Because when you're submitted to authority in the natural, then you understand the power of the authority of the word of God. And all you have to do is speak. Speak the word and you know that there is so much power in the word 
that you can have your child at home sick and you can be at the office or the child could be at the nurse's office and the nurse at school calls you and says that your baby has a temperature of 102 and before you start worrying and before you even call the pediatrician, you speak the word because you believe that word so much and you speak the word knowing that there's no distance in the power of the word of God and God begins to minister healing to your child at that point because you speak the word. So we keep reading verse 10. Jesus heard it and marveled and said unto him, unto them that followed, verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. He called this man's faith great because he didn't say, Jesus, I need you to come to my house. I need you to lay hands on me. I need some anointing oil. I need you to wrap a special towel around me. I need for you to come sit with me and minister communion to me personally. He said, Jesus, all I need is the word. And if you can just give me a word, I know that everything that I ask of you, everything that's not right will be our right simply because you spoke the word and his confidence in that came from him being a man of authority and him being a man under authority and so you have been given authority according to psalms chapter 8 you've been given dominion over the works of the hands of the lord and then in genesis chapter 1 it says that god gave you dominion over the fish over the fowl over every beast that creepeth upon the earth so you are a woman of authority and when you speak you should expect for some things to happen and so when jesus speaks or when we read the written word of God that was breathed and in, in, in and is inspired by God, that should move something on the inside of you. Then when you open up your scripture and you see that God says that if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I forgive uh, forgive sins and heal their land. Once you start praying, you should begin to say, my land is healed because God said so. I haven't seen anything happen yet. I haven't gotten a phone call. I haven't gotten a text message. I haven't seen a ticker on the bottom of the TV screen, but I know that it's going to happen. I know it's so because it is written in the word of God, because I am a woman who believes the word of God. I flat out believe the word of God. That's the kind of woman that you want to be, the kind of woman that believes the word of God. Now, if you look at verse 12, uh, let me see, look at verse 11. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were the fathers of faith, the fathers of our faith. But then look at verse 12. It says, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into utter darkness. <laughs> there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wait a minute now. We're just talking about this man having great faith. Now we're talking about being cast into utter darkness and being... um. And gnashing the teeth. That sounds like hell, doesn't it? How did we go from, I haven't seen such great faith in all Israel to a mention of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to now people going to hell? How did we get there? <laughs> Write this on your paper, Matthew chapter 22, verse 13. And let's just flip over. We got some time, right? You don't have to get up and go anywhere. And if you do, just hit pause and come back and finish listening later. But I want you to finish listening now. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 13. 
So this is the passage. We're going to look at verse 13, but this is the passage above where there was a wedding happening and some of the guests didn't come to the wedding. And so the master of the wedding or the master of the house tells his servants to go out into the highways and gather together those who could come and be a part of the wedding because he wanted the wedding to have full capacity of people sitting in the seats. And in verse 12, it says, and he said unto him, well, there was a man who came to the wedding, but he was invited, came to the wedding. He said unto him, friend, how cometh thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. So there was a word that went out. And now this man is being ridiculed because he didn't respond to it properly. And that's important because as a woman who believes the word of God, in order for you to truly be a believer, that means that you respond to it properly. And then in verse 13, it says, Then, sell, then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into utter darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many are called, but few are chosen. And so you have to connect this verse with what we read over here in Matthew 8, that it's not just about believing the word. It's about having the right response to the word. And when you believe the word, but have an improper response, that's worse than not ever knowing the word at all. And so as a woman who believes the word of God, that's fully convinced of the word of God, you have to train yourself to have the right relationship and the right response to what God is saying. Oh my goodness, she talking about living a certain kind of way. Yep, I certainly am. Because as a woman who believes the word of God, there are certain things that we don't do and there are certain things that we don't say and there are certain places we don't go. And I'm not telling you to take off your makeup. Please don't take off your makeup. Please, just whatever brand is your favorite, MAC, Berry Essentials, NARS, uh, Bobby Brown, whatever, you just keep it going. Maybelline, Safeway brand, uh, drugstore brand, keep it going. I am not talking about things that impress or give a message of the outer man. I'm not talking about how you dress. I'm not talking about... Um, how you wear your hair or your makeup. I'm talking about the mentality you have and how you handle the things of God. Do you put a priority on the things of God above anything else? Does God get the first of your time? Does God get the first of your money? Does God get the first of your talent or does he get the leftovers? If you were invited to the wedding, would God ridicule you for how you were dressed? And it wasn't about necessarily what he had on is about the way that he responded to the master's request. So when the master requests something of you through the word of God, how do you respond to that request? That's a Selah moment. But as a woman who believes the word, you're going to do it all. There's not going to be any variance. You're going to do it all to the best of your ability. There's no such thing as being perfect, so please don't try. There's no such thing as being sinless because we all miss the mark. But it's about when you miss the mark and when you do uh, make a mistake, what do you do? Do you repent and get back up and and go in the right direction? Or do you say, oh, well, you know, I'm not perfect and just stay there. It's about how we respond to the word. Praise God. All right, let's keep reading. I hope this is blessing y'all because it's blessing me. Okay, uh, Mark chapter nine. Mark chapter nine. This is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite scriptures. Favorite scriptures, favorite scriptures. Mark chapter nine. And we're going to read verses 22 and 23, but I want to summarize the story for you before we get there. So there was a man, <clears throat> excuse me, and he had a son who was sick 
And he brought the son to Jesus' disciples because he had seen the disciples with Jesus. And there is an assumption that who you hang with, you also have the ability to do what they do. And that's another lesson all in itself. Whoever you spend your time with, let me say it like this, birds of a feather flock together. <laughs> you guys have heard that. Um, there are there, There's a school of thought that says, if you show me who you spend your time with, I can show you where you're going. And I don't know who to give credit to that saying. I've heard it several times, but I don't know who the originator of that is. But it's based on a biblical principle that who you spend your time with is who you become like. And so this man, this this father, who uh, was very frustrated because his son was sick, he brought his son to the disciples, hoping that the disciples could heal him. And the disciples couldn't do it. And he was frustrated and the disciples were frustrated and you know, um, it was not a good situation. So finally, the father brings the child to Jesus. And he says in verse um, 22, and oft times it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So this father is in a desperate situation. He said, Jesus, if you can do anything, and we all have been there. We all have been there when we had some kind of financial obligation we had to take care of, when we had something going on with healing or illness, when we had something going on in a relationship that we valued, something going on with our job, with our position, um, with our ministry. Um, the ministry doesn't look like the vision that God gave you. We, we have all been at this point and we will all be at this point again. I promise you that. And he says, God, if you could just do anything. And when you get to this point, you know, when you first start out on a venture, you want God to do pie in the sky. I mean, you have this list and you have this vision of exactly what it looks like. But when you've been waiting on that vision to come to pass for so long, you get so tired and you get so fatigued and so desperate. You just say, God, can you do anything? Can you just fix it just a little bit? And forget about being healed totally. Can you just bring my fever down to 99.9? I'm tired of it being, you know, 102. You, you just get to the point. You say, God, can you do anything? We're going to talk about that a little bit later. I want you to hold on to what God has shown you. Don't ever let it go. But look at verse 23. And Jesus said unto him, if thou can believe. He says to Jesus, can you do anything? And Jesus says to him, can you believe anything? If thou can believe. So his response to the father wasn't, oh, yes, I can do something. Oh, yes, I have all healing in my hand. You know, I'm the son of God. You know, I'm God. The God is three parts. God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit. I am God, the son. I am the Messiah. I am the word made flesh. According to John chapter one, he said, it's, it's on you. I'm going to put the ball back in your court. You're asking me, God, the son, can I do anything? Now I'm asking you, the person who's in need, can you believe anything? It all hinges on what we are able to believe. He said, can you believe anything? Then look what he says. He says, all things are possible to him that believe. So all things are possible. All things, just like all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All things are possible to them that believe. When you hold on to what you believe, there is nothing that be, that is impossible to you. There's nothing that is impossible to me because when you believe something, when you believe something, you will hold on to it and you will do, your world begins to turn and you begin to function based on what you believe. Okay, let me just, how much time do we have y'all? Let me see. Let me look at this timer. 
<laughs> I want to tell you, I want to just be real plain with you guys. Okay, we have a little bit of time. None of you, nobody listening, somebody that you know, your cousin, somebody on All My Children or One Life to Live, those shows don't even come on anymore. General Hospital, if you really showing your age, Ryan's Hope, <laughs> Young and the Restless, nobody that you really know, but just, just, just use your imagination. When you are in love with someone, a man, your boyfriend, your husband, your boo, your, your who, your whoever, and you believe that he might possibly be in cheating, be, be cheating, all things become possible to you. You are able to figure out the password on a cell phone. You're able to figure out the password to an email address. You're able to get leave from your job to follow him. You are all of a sudden, you are able to, to just, your whole world revolves around that. That's one type of woman. Another type of woman, all things become possible, then now she can buy her own house. She can buy her own car. She don't need him anymore. She on her way to the credit union by herself. All things become possible to her. When you are motivated enough and you believe something enough, you find the resources, you find the strength, you find the energy, you find the motivation, you find the help. You enlist some of your girlfriends to help you move your stuff out or you enlist some of your girlfriends to help him move his stuff out. Or if he has a friend called Tyrone, y'all know how that ends, you find a way to make it happen when you believe something. Or when you believe that your baby should have won first prize and that spelling bee and they gave it to that other little child and that other little child didn't do as well, you will knock on every door. You'll send a letter to the school board. You send a letter to the department, the U.S. Department of Education. You send a letter to uh, seven on your side or whatever news outlet is where you live. You will not stop until you get what you believe your baby's supposed to have. And so you can really determine what you believe based on how hard you go after something. If you believe for a minute, then let it go. You never really believed it. When you believe that you have a right to something, you don't let it go. If you believe that you're supposed to have something, you don't let it go. If you believe that you can really do something, you keep trying it until you achieve it. So you can measure what you believe based on how you respond to your own belief. And Jesus did the same thing. He said, we're going to talk about Jesus said, this conversation is not about what I can do. This conversation is about what you can do. Can you believe anything? And then I love this man's honesty. I love the father's honesty in verse 24. He says, and straightway, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. He said, Lord, I want to believe everything you said. I want to believe everything I heard about you, but I've been through some things, God. I went to your disciples and they couldn't fix it. And I went to this doctor and they couldn't fix it. And I went to the child's mother and she couldn't fix it. And I went to my friend and they couldn't fix it. And based on all the experiences that I had been through, I know what your word says, but God, my experience is speaking louder than your word. And God, I believe, I believe you can heal. That's why I'm here. I believe that you're the Messiah. I believe that you have grace and mercy. I believe that I have favor. I believe that I'm born again. I believe that I'm a peculiar person, but God help my unbelief. There are some things that I just cannot get over. I can't let it go. I know that I have this new guy in my life who says he loves me and he says that he loves you more than he loves me. And I believe that he's going to be a good husband for me. I believe it, but God help my unbelief because I cannot shake what happened to me in my past. I cannot shake it. 
I want to start this new business and God, I know you told me to do it, but I can't forget how I didn't do right in the last business and how it didn't work out for me because it wasn't really what you had for me and I got ahead of you. God, I, I want to believe, but help my unbelief. And then we go down a couple of verses and we see that God heals the, the young man. He heals the son. And that lets us know that Jesus spent some time ministering to this father to get his belief up. And once his belief got to a certain level, he was able to heal the young man. And so now I'm asking you, I'm putting it back in your court. I know you've been believing. Well, you might not have been believing. I, I know you've been praying about some things or thinking about some things or putting some things on your vision board and looking at some things and putting some things in your journal and dreaming of about some things and all that, but have you worked on your belief? Have you worked on your belief for you? Because a lot of times as women, we can believe for other people. We can be the best cheerleader for everybody else. And when it comes to what we need for us, we don't have the ability to believe. There's something there. There's something stopping our belief system. There's something robbing us of the ability to believe it for us. This man believed in Jesus, but when it came to him personally, he said, God, help my belief. And that is such good news to me. That is so amazing to me that we serve a God that doesn't require us to get it right by ourselves. He knows that we need to believe and we know that we need to believe, but he even said that we can come to him and ask him to help us to be able to, to believe. And that is just so powerful. So if you're sitting here thinking, I, I want to believe like that, but there's some things that are stopping me from being able to do it. Just go to God. That's your prayer. I believe God, but help my unbelief. And then when he begins to unpack stuff, don't try to dismiss it. Don't try to ignore it. No, no, God, I, I don't want to go there. Sometimes you might have to go there to get over whatever existed in your past, to get past it, to be able to believe God. So somebody says to you, so why do you think you feel that way? Is it possibly something from your childhood? Don't say, no, 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 no. I don't want to go that. You might need to go there to identify the enemy because the Bible says that when the thief be found, he must repay sevenfold. And so sometimes we don't want to take the cover off the thief because it's too painful. But on the other side of that discomfort is the repayment that God has promised you. And that's a promise you need to know. You need to know that scripture that when the thief be found, he must repay. You need to know that one because everything the enemy has tried to steal from you. that had, And he's not trying to steal your life. He's not trying to kill your life. He's trying to stop you from being able to believe because he knows that once you learn how to believe that all things are possible to a woman of God who can believe. And that is so good. Woo -woo. We had a choir in here with me. They could, an organ player, we could get it moving. That's good. That's good. Okay. Luke chapter eight. Luke chapter eight. Okay. Um, Luke chapter eight. And you guys know Romans where it says the word is nigh you in your mouth, the word that you preach. So it's not just you reading the word, it's you reading the word enough to get the word of God in your own mouth so that you can begin to preach to yourself. Um, that's Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. Just write that down. Put that on your list of scriptures that you must know that the word is not you. So just like that centurion soldier just says, speak the word only. There are times that you can speak the word only yourself because the word of faith is in your mouth. Once you get it in your heart and faith comes by hearing and hearing, that second hearing is, is the 
faith words coming out of your own mouth. The first time you hear it when you're being taught it or you hear it when you read it. And then the second time is it coming out of your own mouth? That's just a side note, but put that in your notes. Romans chapter, uh, chapter 10. Okay. Luke chapter eight. Let's look at this. All right. So these are the disciples. They are on the boat. Let's start at verse 22. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into the ship with his disciples and he said unto them, let us go over unto the other side of the lake, a lake. Okay. Let's, 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 <laughs> when we learn this, this story in um, Sunday school, when we learn this story in Bible study, when we learn this story um, by looking at some documentary on National Geographic, I'm not hating on National Geographic. I'm just using them as an example. We have a picture of people being that the disciples were on a small rowboat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean or the middle of the Pacific Ocean or the middle of the Black Sea. Let's, you know, take it to um, Bible times, the middle of the Black Sea or the middle of the Dead Sea or something like that. Read your Bible again. It says, let us go over to the other side of the lake. <laughs> They're on a lake. They are not in the middle of the ocean. They are not in the middle of the Caribbean Sea or the Black Sea or the Dead Sea or the Baltic Sea or the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean or the, you know, they're in the middle of a lake. Have you ever seen a lake that you couldn't see the other side of? I mean, have you really ever seen a lake? All basically, this is not a textbook definition, but just let's just go with it. That part of a lake means I can see to the other side. <laughs> there is not there is no lake that is 35 miles wide you know it's a lake and so they're on the boat and then a storm comes and the ward the boat begins to fill with water and they become afraid and they go and they say to Jesus and I'm at verse 24 now they say, master, master, we perish. Master, master, we're dying. We're dying. They're dying in the lake. And now half of them are fishermen. So they're not new to the water. They know how to swim. Maybe not all of them, but some of them know how to swim. So not that the boat is filling up. Jesus, we're dying. You got to do something. We, we cannot battle the mighty winds of this lake the the if you talk to a fisherman the waves in the lake don't get to be 20 feet high they, they just don't because it's a lake that <laughs> that's the definition of a lake so jesus is annoyed now jesus gets up he arrived i'm in verse 24 then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging waters and they ceased and then they were calm and he said unto them where is your faith? And they became afraid, wondering, saying one to another, what manner of man is this? For he commanded even the winds and the water and they obey him. And look what they do. <laughs> Jesus gets up and he looks at them. Where's your faith? Where is your faith? And they don't reason. No, it says they become afraid. And you, when you first read that, you think, well, they're, they're afraid because they think that Jesus is about to chastise them. Jesus is about to discipline them. They don't even deal with themselves. They say, y'all see what he did. He calmed the waves in the world. They don't even deal with the fact that they were out of faith. They don't deal with the fact that verse in verse uh, 
22, Jesus gives them a word. He says, we're going to go to the other side. That's the word that he gave them. We're going to the other side because every word that comes out of Jesus' mouth, he says in the book of John, I only say what my father says. And what does that let us know? That we can believe every word that comes out of Jesus' mouth. So he says to them, we're going to the other side. He didn't say we're going to the other side and it's going to be sunny. He did not say we're going to the other side and it's going to be smooth sailing. He didn't say we're going to the other side and we're just going to just hum and whistle little ditties all the way over. He said we're going to the other side. The conditions for the journey should not have been any of their concern. They should have been focused on the destination that they could probably see from the beginning because they were on a lake. And so Jesus gets up and he questions them. He says, where is your faith? Now, he didn't say that you guys need to develop faith. He didn't say you need to learn faith because they already developed faith. They already learned faith. But what he is annoyed about is that in that moment, they allowed the conditions around them to have more authority over their emotions than the word that God had given Did y'all hear that? They allowed the conditions around them to have more authority over their emotions and over their expectations is a better word there over their expectations than what the Lord has said. How many of us have been there? We've been going to church and going to study group and listening to study apply thrive. And we've been sowing and we've been tithing. We've been serving and we've been working on the fruit of the spirit. And then the lake, not the ocean, not the sea, the lake becomes a little uncomfortable and we want to run and try something new. We want to go play the lotto. We want to go talk to the universe. We want to go um, do all these other things. And Jesus is saying, where is your faith? And what he's saying is locate where your belief is anchored. What are you really anchored in? Were you anchored in the conditions of the weather? Is that what was going to empower you to believe that we were going to the other side? Or were you able to believe it just because I said it? And it was obvious that for them in that moment, in this one situation, their faith or their belief was anchored in the condition of the water. It wasn't anchored in what Jesus has said. And so now I'm saying to you, women of God, where is your faith? What is your faith anchored in? Is it anchored in the personality or the demeanor or the temperament of your husband? Is your ability to have a good day anchored in how your teenagers get out the bed in the morning? Or it depends on how they get out the bed of how you leave the house. Selah. Is it dependent on how your toddler acts? Where is your faith? God says that there are new mercies every morning. Do you receive those new mercies simply because God said it or depending on the environment that you wake up in in the morning? When God says that you are healed, Are your expectations based solely on what God said or do you need a doctor to co-sign it? You know, just just where where is your faith? What are you anchored in? What, What are you anchored in? Where is your faith? Where is your belief anchored? If you go and listen... Jesus wasn't upset that they came and asked for help because God wants us to come to him for help. We just learned that over in um, Matthew 8. I'm sorry, um, in Mark 9, when he said, help my Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. It wasn't that they needed help. It's that they didn't realize that they didn't recognize as long as they had been walking with Christ, they didn't have the understanding that they were shaken by the environment where they should have been unmovable and unshakable because they were with the master and the master had spoken. So it's not about you not going to ask. It's not about you asking God for help. It's about you being shaken, even though God has already told you what the outcome is going to be. Let me give you guys a testimony. I'm going to make it short. Um, This was, (laughs) let me think. 
my son was was a baby. He he was an infant. He's um almost 18 now. So this was almost 18 years ago. And we at the time were living in a not nice neighborhood. It was basically the hood is what we what Pastor Russell and I could afford at the time. We had been married for about eight years at this point. And it was OK for us. We didn't mind all the little stuff that happened in the neighborhood. But once we had a baby, we like we're not raising a baby in this neighborhood. And when our son turned six weeks old on the day he turned six weeks old, we started looking for a new house because we were not raising a baby in that neighborhood. We found a house in a neighborhood that we had been looking at. We had been looking at this neighborhood for a long time. We were people of faith. We even got dressed up one day and went to the HOA Association meeting in this neighborhood. We didn't even live there. Parked our little hoopty lemon car around the corner so when we started up and the smoke started coming out, people wouldn't recognize it was us. Went to the meeting, got all dressed up, sat in on the HOA meeting and participated, raised our hand, asked questions. We didn't live there, but our faith wanted us to be there and we, we knew where our faith was anchored. It was in that God said we we could have things and he would give us godly houses. And we knew that. So we uh, found a house and it was during a time where they said, you know, it was a, uh, what they call it, a seller's market where a house would go on the market and the next day it would be sold. So we found a house in the neighborhood we wanted, everything we wanted. After we had done the contract and we had had a settlement date and so on and so forth, Pastor Russell got laid off from his job and we didn't have any salary. I just had a baby. He was six weeks old. By now, he's uh, 10 weeks old. We found the house. We looked for a house for a couple of weeks, found the house. He's about 10 weeks old now. We have one family income and um, Pastor Russell has um, got laid off from his job. So we didn't have income. So he came home and told me and I was packing when he came home. He came home and told me about his job. And so he said, I'm going to call the real estate agent because we're not going to be able to move. I said, you might not be moving, but I'm moving. And I kept packing. <laughs> and he said, well, maybe she doesn't understand what no job means. And I said, I understand exactly what no job means. I'm not, uh, not having money is not something that's new to me, but I know what my God said. And my God said that that is our house. And my God said that we could move. And at the time, our pastors confirmed that that was our house. And I kept packing. And I said, you can make phone calls if you want to. I'm packing. And so he was like, okay. So he kept packing with me. We called our mortgage lender and told them what had happened. And they said, oh, we just started this new program. Because of your credit score and because of your work history, we will still approve your loan because you have a stellar work history and a stellar credit score. So we know that even though you're not working now, you will be working. And they approved our mortgage loan. And maybe we were about two weeks before we moved in and he got another job. But I wasn't going to be moved by the conditions. I stayed firm on what the Lord has said, even though it looked like an impossible situation. I stayed firm on what the Lord said. And we moved into that house with no problem. We lived in that house for 15 years, I think, or 14 years or something like that. Never missed the mortgage payment, was able to remodel the house, was able to do a lot of stuff, was able to bless other people to come and stay with us on more than one occasion, was able to be a blessing to others in that house because we refused to be on a lake and be shaken by what was going on in the lake. We had our faith anchored in the Lord. We believed the word. Now, again, I ask you, women of God, what do you believe? Do you believe you're healed? Do you believe you're anointed? Do you believe you're powerful? Do you believe that you 
are an influencer? Do you believe that you're attractive? Do you believe that you are healthy? Do you believe that there is power in your words, that you have authority? Do you believe that? Do you believe that your children are are safe? Do you believe that your marriage is blessed? Do you believe that God is for you? But do you believe that there are angels, ministering angels, waiting for you to give them assignments every day? It's in the word. What do you believe? So as you go throughout the rest of today, I want you just to have a couple C-Law moments today and ask yourself, what do I believe? And here are two things. I want you to challenge yourself to believe the word you already know. And then I want you to challenge yourself to learn some new word that every week you learn one verse. I'm not asking you to read, you know, the whole New Testament in three months. You could do one verse a week. As long as you're growing in the things of God it's not a, the growing spiritual maturity is not a sprint. It's a marathon and it's a lifelong marathon. You will never arrive. You'll never get to a point where you feel like, aha, I'm finally there. I don't have to study the word anymore. I don't have to pray anymore. You're going to always perpetually be in a place of needing to know more and more and more and more about God. So I want to challenge you to believe the word that you already know. Be unshakable. Don't let a lake trip you up. Don't don't let a late get you off your game. Whatever God told you is going to happen, it's going to happen. And guess what? People are going to talk about you if it doesn't happen and people are going to talk about you if it does happen. So get people out. People are not a part of this equation. They're, they're not. The economy is not a part of this equation. Who the president is, is not a part of this equation. This covenant that you have is between you and your God. If you believe the word is between you and your God, and there is nothing that can stop the power of God from flowing in your life, nothing. But what Jesus said to the father, what do you believe? Can you do anything, Jesus? Yes. Can you believe anything? So as you finish, go out throughout the day today, I want you to challenge your belief. What do I believe? Do I believe that I'm safe? Do I believe that I'm healed? Do I believe that I'm prosperous? Do I believe that I can be out of debt? Do I believe that I can really be the woman of God that I really want to be? Go back and listen to our last podcast. It takes some work to be the real me. Do I believe I can really be that person? I believe it for you. I believe that every word that God has spoken over your life, every vision and dream that God has given you, I add my faith to yours right now that you can have it, you can be it, you can do it, and that it will last and be a legacy for your daughters, for your nieces, for your granddaughters, for your grandnieces, for every woman that comes in contact with you, that the residue of the anointing on your life will be on all of them. I believe that for you. Listen, I had a good time with you today. I pray the word blessed you. If this word blessed you, and it did bless you. Don't pretend like it didn't. It did. Don't pretend like it did not. It did bless you. I don't want you to share it with one friend. I want you to share it with every friend because we need to spread the gospel around the world. There are people who don't know that they can believe the word and they can change their lives. There are people who don't know that. So now that you know it, fill up on the word and then give out of the overflow. You can just simply share the link, just text the people, put on your social media. If you don't already subscribe to the podcast, subscribe so you can get a notification every time we do a new podcast and just be an evangelist. Just share the word of God. I want you to believe believe and your ability to believe. And if you know, Pastor Vita, my belief is who is shaky, then your prayer as soon as this podcast is over is Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I love you guys. I'm praying for you. If you are in the Bowie area, come and worship with us this Sunday. You can go to our website, flow-church.com. 
dc.org to get all the information about our services. If you're not in the DC area, we have a global campus that you can um, access all of our services. Some of them are live streamed. Some of them are archived. You can go to our website and get information about our global campus. Uh, either way, you can be a part of what we're doing. We have study groups that are like small groups. We have women's ministry. We have children's ministry. We have outreach ministry. We have AV ministry, social media. We got all of it. We just want to reach people for Jesus. We want to win this world for Jesus. You guys have a wonderful day. Have a blessed day, a blessed evening, a blessed weekend, whatever time you're watching this. I love you guys. Have a wonderful day, a wonderful night, a wonderful day. I already said that, didn't I? Just be well. <laughs> Amen.